This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Welcome back. This is Catherine Klein on Dollars and Change. And I'm Cheryl Kuhlman. And uh, we are excited to be talking with you and talking with our guests. And uh, our next guest is one of our very own here from the from the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. Chiki Agu is a, an, a Wharton alum and the principal at McChrystal Group uh, and a partner at Incubate. Chiki, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Great. And we're excited to hear what you're up to. So, so yeah, so there, you've got a few different roles and a few different organizations you've been with and are with. What are you, what are you up to, GK? <laughs> sure, sure. So uh, currently, and I'll kind of bifurcate the work, um, I'm a partner at an uh, inclusive economic development firm called Incubate. We are based in Prince George's County, Maryland, right outside of Washington, D.C., and uh, very simply, we are a, well, well, we are a venture studio that's uh, dedicated to creating innovation businesses and communities that need them the most. Uh, as we think about how do you use the tools of business and the market to make a difference, in the end, uh, we believe that uh, creating uh, high growth businesses that are creating jobs and also innovations that matter for the world are, are, is one of the biggest levers that we can pull to actually make a difference. So uh, myself and my partner, uh, Mark Lawrence, who's a former Deloitte, who's an alum of Deloitte, mm-hmm. uh, have gotten together to really work to grow businesses, again, the, the high growth businesses that people at Warden uh, love, but really in communities um, that normally wouldn't see them. Uh, and, this is, and, and this is particularly valuable and particularly needed because if you look at what, whether it be unemployment rates, mm-hmm. uh, capital creation rates in some communities like whether it be West Philadelphia or the East and West Baltimore or the inner beltway of Washington, D.C. and my home county of Prince George's, um, you, you realize that the dearth of these businesses or the inclusion of these businesses can actually be a big lever for change. So to think about uh, some of the work, just to, to make it very concrete, um, you know, our goal is to create 40 of these businesses in, in communities of need over the next decade. Hmm. Uh, one of the first businesses that we're looking to work with, um, we're really excited about, is a company called Rowdy Orbit. Rowdy Orbit, uh, founded by a great entrepreneur in Baltimore City uh, named Jonathan Moore, formerly of the technology industry. And a problem that he uh, was looking to solve was if you look at uh, Silicon Valley and many companies that are frankly really reliant on technology, particularly for things like, um, and need tasks done, excuse me, like quality assurance, data debugging. Many of them outsource that work to places like Eastern Europe, um, also some parts of uh, the Indian market as well. And his question was, was there a way to basically uh, bring some of that work back home, but in a way that was economical for these firms? And so he created the firm uh, Rowdy Orbit, and basically what he has done is create an alternative development solution for these types of companies. Instead of using workers who are in Eastern Europe or in India, he actually is is uh, training returning citizens to do this work mm. um, so that, uh, one, of course, uh, these Silicon Valley companies are getting a similar level of work at ideally the same or lower price. And these returning citizens who, who have a huge amount of barriers in front of them right. are getting, one can argue, some of those valuable skills in the economy. So his model, which is very innovative, is a 16-month model where uh, the, these returning citizens are actually training in the morning and then doing contract work in the afternoon, uh, usually two or three week contracts. So one of his innovations is that, um, unlike a lot of other boot camps, uh, while folks are training, 
they're earning a wage, which is really important. If you sure. look at a lot of these programs, at times you see high uh, or you see high dropout rates because folks have to earn a wage, particularly if you're trying to overcome a lot of the barriers that we put in front of returning citizens. Uh, and so he has run one cohort in Baltimore City, and at, at Incubate, our goal is to see him expand to places like Prince George's County, like Washington D.C. Hopefully, with some help of people at Warden, Philadelphia. Um, and these are the types of companies uh, that we want to see grow uh, because, one, they're solving a market need, which is critical. We want to build uh, strong, sustainable businesses. Secondly, he is solving a societal problem in the process, being how do we basically give returning citizens an economic leg up and in the process growing uh, uh hopefully in the mid-Atlantic region and hopefully across the country. And so is, these are the types of companies yeah. that we're really excited about. And it's that second aspect of, of you know, so- solving a social need. Is that a, a nice-to-have or something that you're really actively looking for when you're thinking about the companies you want to help scale? Uh, it is a uh, strong, strong preference, mm-hmm. same, same, same way that we all are always looking for inclusive founders, whether it be from gender, from a gender perspective, a demographic perspective. Um, and really what we look for is the sweet spot of, Folks who have a business model where the the solving of that societal need is part of the yes. business model and not an add-on. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, I think, I think one thing that you, you know we talked about a lot in kind of the social impact world is kind of the Tom's model, which is a, you know which is an amazing company. Uh, but uh, what we always want to be uh, cognizant of is how do we make sure it's not an add-on to the business model, but actually a part of the business model, or as a an old mentor of mine named Brian Trailstead used to say, how do we make sure that for the business that financial returns and societal returns run in the same direction and that they are not a trade-off? Right. When you get into a situation where there's a trade-off at times, you get into this conversation of um, if I'm doing good, does it mean I'm doing less well? That's right. the dichotomy that we need to break right. if we're going to really uh, get into this that are truly solving societal needs. So that's the sweet spot that we look for. That's why we're so excited to see Jonathan Moore and Rowdy Orbit, and we believe there are more businesses like that. One other thing I'll say, though, is for those businesses to be successful, um, I think different than maybe a, a conventional company, there is, a, I would argue, a lot more work ma- needed on the front end to make sure that they can be successful. So, so Chiki, let me, let me ask you about that because I, that, that's a question that I, you know, listening to you, the question that I had in my mind, you said your goal is, uh, I think it was for, working with 40 companies over the next 10 years. Yeah. So Correct. that's, um, you know, that, that's a small number of, of companies to work with over 10 years. Um, I would, you know, I could imagine, right? We, we, the previous guest said, or it was, I don't know, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was a, a, a you know, many more um, women entrepreneurs that she was hoping to bring through her training programs. That sure. that suggests that this is quite hands on and in depth and the, and challenging the the work that you are doing. That this is, you know, this is, um, you know, sometimes we talk about this as sort of a a depth strategy than a breadth strategy. You're trying to work deeply with companies rather than, you know, uh, superficially with a lot of companies. Tell us more about what that looks like and, and you know, what are you, what is Inc- Incubate doing with these companies as you think about, like, this is what it's going to take to make them really grow and succeed? Uh, it's a really great question. It's, and I think it's a broad question of a lot of social impact organizations. I myself was a very recently a nonprofit CEO. We dealt with this question all the time. Um, Here's how we think about it. I think, number one, uh, first, we take very much kind of a rock-in-the-pond approach. If you take a very small rock and you throw it into a pond, even though the rock is small, the ripples are wide. And we believe that by 
showing that you can work with these types of companies, achieve good returns, make societal impact, that we uh, can create a ripple throughout industry that can show that more of these companies can be worked with and, and that our efforts will be replicated because in the end, uh, we, uh, so as a Wharton grad, as a Wharton grad we, I do believe that the market follows signals. That's number one. I think number two, uh, yes, 40 businesses, um, n- not a, uh, a stratospheric number, but to be honest, if one of these businesses can become an Amazon mm. or an Under Armour right. or something like that, you know, and I say Under Armour because I'm a Maryland guy, um, that's a big impact. Yeah. If you look at a lot of venture firms and you were to look at their success rates, um, it is not 100%. In Absolutely. Fact, not it, even it, close. Yeah. You're, you're looking for unicorns. And so our belief is that if we work deeply with a very particular investment thesis like the one that I've talked about, we can find those unicorns again from the financial perspective, but also from the social return perspective. Uh, so that's why we're going to work very deeply. And when we say deeply, it's, it's, a, it's a couple things. One, on that front end, really helping that entrepreneur make sure that the financial and the social returns run in the same direction, mm-hmm. uh, if that is a part of their model, number one. Number two, if you look at a lot of the failures of firms, they usually fall into categories. One is a kind of a strategy failure, meaning, hey, I didn't have the right solution for the, the problem that I was trying to solve. That's always one question. There's also a just straight execution in that uh, I had the right solution, but I just didn't have the knowledge of talent, finance, operations yeah. um, to make my business successful. And particularly for businesses in high-need communities with entrepreneurs who may not come from a background of social capital, for folks who can kind of show them the ropes, this is a place where we really want to add in. And I really have to give a lot of great credit to my partner, uh, Mark Lawrence, again, from Deloitte, who's worked with, with companies for years at this. We want to make sure that the on-ramp to scale is super smooth, super successful, and accessible to folks who, who on balance, probably wouldn't have it. So, again, this is basically how do you hire that first COO? How do you hire that first CFO? How do you begin to structure term sheets as you take on more funding? How do you, for your front, for your frontline workers, um, select them in the right way, make sure they're trained the right way, and make sure that they're executing? How do you, how do you make sure that your KPIs look the way that they should, that you can act on them in a really quick and clear fashion? So it's very, uh, very hands-on then. Absolutely. Yeah, and again, yeah. if we get an Under Armour out of it, sure, uh, all, all, all the effort is worth it. And again, we believe if we do and, I believe, and we believe we can, the ripples are going to be wide, not just for us, but throughout industry. Yeah. Chicky, I'm wondering as you, uh, you know, as you describe how you're working with companies and, you know, the, the kinds of skill sets you're able to, uh, to help them with, I can imagine at least uh, three roles that you that you might be playing, and I'm just curious to to know more about what this looks like. You all could be, you know, consultants, coaches. Um, sure. You could be uh, more actively involved and engaged in the company. Like, okay, we're coaching you. We're also taking a seat on the board, um, and that might particularly go with a third role that I can imagine is just, you know, we are investors or we are connecting you with investment capital. Can you tell us about you know, the, the mechanisms by which the roles sure. you're playing to work with these companies? Um, the answer is all of the above and all of those levers we seek to use situationally uh, in that there are some companies who uh, need capital. They're just very simply, they have the team, they have the idea, and our goal will be to bring, particularly on that, in that early stage, um, kind of that seed and series A capital to bear. That's one, that's one lever that we seek. There's, there are certain folks at times who have capital, but they, but because the capital, um, frankly, didn't come with support, they mm-hmm. need support to put that capital to work in terms of getting the right team, technology stack, things like that. 
And then what we find all our, our, our companies need, particularly, again, if you're a first-time entrepreneur, is uh, kind of just learning the ropes of how one runs a company and gets one off the ground. So we pull all of those levers, and our goal is not a one-size-fits-all, uh, but to really have a, a tailored set of offerings for the companies that we work with. So we really expect, in the way that we work with Rowdy Orbit, our next company, our next company, uh, will ha- we'll have a different set of offerings from us. And sure. again, our goal is not to force people to give folks what they need to get to the scale they want to achieve. And so how are you going to identify the next company that you're you're going to work with, right? Because, I mean, this is, um, since it, it's so intense and so in-depth, you really, you, you want to make the right choice around that because you're putting in a lot of commitment of to it. How are you? How are you going to identify these companies? That's uh, a great question. And so this is where networks come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you think, if you look at any investor, conventional or otherwise, in the end, uh, their ability to find the companies they want to invest in comes from the network. So I'm going to be really frank. Places like Wharton mm-hmm. uh, have been huge value adds to the work that we do. You know, places like I've been blessed to work in the past, like a McKinsey, uh, like an advisory board company, like the like the McChrystal Group, where I work, where I work now, where I work in another capacity now. These are networks that we that we seek to sit on. Also, we want to make sure that we look in unlikely places. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was I wondering about to... like, are you get, right? Yeah. Does that? I mean, if you're if you're if they're coming through a McKinsey or a Wharton network. They're already obviously quite networked to you know, a traditional and influential group. So, you know, does this does this allow you to reach? I don't know enough about the background of, of Rowdy Orbit, but does this allow you to reach others? Uh, the great thing that we find is, and I'll get to kind of the unlikely places that even in those Good. very likely places, there are um, folks who um, there are folks who encounter companies that don't always share that in those conventional networks that we can find. I actually found Rowdy Orbit because they were actually featured in the Baltimore Business Journal, gotcha. which, again, a very conventional, uh, uh, very conventional uh, publication, a wonderful publication, but um, they were still in a place of need. But also we look at, if you were to look at, say, the, the uh, education technology space, it's a space I spent a, a fair amount of time. I actually was a Teach for America alum, and you right. have found this, growing up of these teacher entrepreneurs who, because they've seen the problems firsthand and also at times got very particular training, are attacking them, again, through business and technological means. So again, how do you take advantage of the really um, likely channels, which again, at times, um, folks who are looking to do what we do don't have access to, and also take advantage of those unlikely channels. Similarly, I, um, you know, I, I was, I'm an alum of, of the Bloomberg administration, and it's very similarly, you see folks who have served in government who see problems firsthand, and be able to take that knowledge and actually apply a business or, te- or technological lens to it. So in the end, uh, the answer is networks and the likely and the unlikely networks and kind of squeezing all you can out of them to, to find those diamonds in the rough. Yeah. Are, and then just to, are you, to, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Are you more interested in um, an existing business that you think has potential or may have to pivot in some sense? Or are you looking for just the idea and somebody who's coming uh, to you with an idea? It's a great question. I think what we look for is uh, a combination of an entrepreneur and an idea. Gotcha. Uh, however, how, however evolved. I mean, that's always the secret sauce. I, I, when I was a student at Wharton, I took uh, uh, the David Wessel's uh, venture capital class, and, he, and there's a part in the class where he'll ask you, you know, are you do you think you should be a product investor or a people investor? And the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's what we find is that. Is that is, is, is that is that metric sauce? And of course, at times the entrepreneur may be stronger than the idea, or the idea might be stronger than the entrepreneur. And that's I think where coaching and support and capital comes in. Right. But in the end, we look for that sauce. The 
uh, stage of maturity of the idea we are uh, flexible enough on. And again, that's where we think our value is going to be. We might be someone like Jonathan who's basically gotten a proof of concept and needs to kind of scale up and grow. And there might be someone who's far earlier. There might be someone who's far later. And we're talking about more of a, a not quite growth equity, but kind of later stage. We're talking, uh, we with, uh, me, we're talking with Chike Agu, who is a principal of the McChrystal Group and a partner at Incubate. And Chike, as you're talking with us about the work that you're doing with these uh uh, with companies to to grow inclusive economic, uh, you know, to spur inclusive economic growth in in low income communities, uh, and you talked about um, you know working in Prince George's County. I'm wondering if your focus is, um, I, mean, I guess, what should counties be doing? What should cities be doing? How important is this? Is the the community? You know, it sounds like your focus is uh, you want to work with companies in low income communities. And your focus is find us the, the, the high-impact company will go into any community. A different strategy is we're all about this community, uh, and we want to change this community. Um, and it's something we're thinking a lot about uh, at Warden as we, you know, as we sit in Philadelphia, the, the poorest of the largest of 10 cities in the country. Um, of course. So we think about you know, the, the local area. H- how are you thinking about this? Uh, we definitely take uh, a kind of a collective impact view of this, which is that no problem worth solving can be solved alone, um, uh, whether that be economic development, education, uh, health, climate, things like that. And so um, you are absolutely right. In the end, um, even if we were able to uh, you know, get 100 Under Armors out of Incubate, um, if you don't change broader societal circumstances, you will never kind of get see the total change that you want to see. We do start from a thesis that that economic development uh, that is in the hands of communities is really important, but you're right, it is necessary but insufficient to do the task. So I can speak just from a local perspective here in the state of Maryland, here in Prince George's County, we absolutely encourage uh, and work with and uh, provide uh, advice to counties, local institutions on um, how do you just make it easy to start a business so mm-hmm. that, again, you don't need necessarily need connections or eight lawyers to do it? Similarly, how can we put county capital to work so that, again, folks who don't come from uh, positions of means can actually begin to enter a business? Here in Prince George's County, we have a $50 million economic development fund. Not uh, huge, but for someone who's looking to start a small business or who can't get a $10,000 or $15,000 loan for a piece of equipment, that can be lifeblood. Right. Uh, if you look at Chicago there, I want to say it's called the 77 Fund, which is basically meant to create investments uh, in high-need parts of their 77 neighborhoods around the city. We firmly uh, believe in those things. And then also, if you look at a city like uh, New York, where I, I started my career, um, and their Department of Small Business Services, they are basically a concierge, white glove service, basically serving the workforce and the regulatory needs of those businesses. And we encourage counties to... Um, help businesses help themselves um, by, again, treating them not simply as potentially a cost center, but also as a customer, uh, someone who has certain needs, particularly from the talent and workforce side, that you can help fill and provide. So that's what we, so that's at a broad level, how we think about what counties can do. But at a, you know, if I had to say one thing, we're not just looking to grow jobs, we are looking to grow kind of median wage. We're looking to make sure that the jobs that you are all, all, you all are creating are ones that are going to be around in the future that go with where the economy is going in terms of automation and technology. And also, 
allow folks to take care of their families. Well, then it also sounds... Together, their, their communities. But anyway, yeah. uh, go ahead. It sounds like from the, the company that you're, uh, Rowdy Orbit, that you're pointing out, um, these are not just jobs, but training in um, a, an area of great business need. And so th- it opens the opportunity for once the people get hired and get the training, they can be hired by other companies as well. Right? Exactly. And that's the whole goal. And that's really the, uh, Jonathan's whole goal when, when he started this company. And I actually would go a step further. Um, one of the critical things that his model allows for is, yes, the experience and training. But because they're going to be basically working for a year, they actually have a, uh, a resume. They actually have yeah. a portfolio right. that they can take to a company and say, don't just take me at my word. Look at what I've done. And again, for many of these fields, and I'm sure we've all seen these job postings, X amount of years of experience, show right. me this, show me that. You know, I remember someone asking me once, well, how am I supposed to get experience? No one will experience. hire you, yeah. Right. right. And particularly for these populations, it, uh, it's a real conundrum and challenge, and it is model, and models like to help solve that. GK, you were, uh, before you've uh, gotten involved and launched uh, Incubate, you were the CEO of a nonprofit, uh, Everyone On. How did you, talk to us about this uh, this transition. When did you transition into the new role? You know, why did you transition into it? And I don't remember now if you were uh, the founder of Everyone On, um, or you know, if you again, if it preexisted your engagement with the organization. Sure. So um, I uh, was blessed to be at, at Everyone On, and just to give a just a brief background, Everyone On is a national nonprofit seeking to connect everyone everywhere in the U.S. to the internet in their homes. Uh, currently, 62 million Americans, roughly, do not have access to home internet. Uh, that is a huge barrier uh, in terms of the 80% of kids need the, the internet to do their homework every night. Uh, the over 80% of job postings that uh, are online every year, and uh, for kids looking to uh, graduate high school, apply to college, um, and their parents uh, who are also looking to lift themselves up economically. Sure. And so the internet is no longer a luxury, but very much a uh, a necessity. Um, I joined initially everyone on as uh, their head of programs, and um, unbeknownst to me, I ended up being the CEO uh, within my first six months there uh, because of a prior leadership transition. And so um, I had a what might be a unique view of the role, which is um, the most important thing is the work, and every no- and also that every nonprofit should be looking to work themselves out of existence. So when I arrived, my goal was I wanted to make sure that we were, would be on path to connect a million people by the end of 2020 um, in aggregate. Uh, when I you know was blessed to leave, uh, we were on our path to basically connecting uh, over uh, 700,000 people in aggregate by the end of this year. Uh, so when we looked at our projections, we basically said, "Oh wow, we, we are going to we uh, you know uh, knock on wood are going to are going to, are, are going to uh, hit those goals." And the question that I asked myself is, "Am I no longer indispensable?" Mm-hmm. And my view is, you stay in a role for as long as you're indispensable because the role is not the work is not about you. The work is about the work. And so um, when uh, I came to that realization, I said, "Okay, this is probably the right time for me to transition." Uh, and again, this work is continuing across the country through, uh, through the organization and beyond. And so as I thought about that, I said, okay, how do I want to, um, what's the next body of work I want to take on? And um, part of the reason that Incubate was so interesting to me uh, was that uh, I had the opportunity to serve on a task force in the future of work at the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, chaired by Penny Pritzker, who was the former Secretary of Commerce, and John Engler, who was the former governor of Michigan. And one of the 
key things that we looked at as we looked at the future of work uh, in in uh, in uh, concert with things like skill development mm-hmm. um, was also business development. If you look at the U.S., we were at the slowest rate of business formation hmm. since I want to say it's the late 1970s. Wow, uh, this is particularly true in in, in underserved communities. Um, and so the question is, even if I train someone the right way, which is so valuable and so needed, and I'm a former educator, so it's bad to be dear to my heart. If there's no one, if there's, if there's nowhere for them to work, particularly in their own community, um, we still haven't solved that problem. So it's why Incubate uh, really, really spoke to me. And also the fact that it was locally based. Uh, and I, you know, one of the benefits of it is I will actually be able to see the progress uh, of the communities that, of the companies, excuse me, that we help because they we're starting in our backyard in Prince George's County in the state of Maryland. And again, we hope to grow uh, from there uh, to beyond. Got it. And, and Chike, um, you've had an unusual career, I think, um, <laughs> you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, you've been, you've worked in, you know, you've worked in government with the mayor of, uh, Mayor Bloomberg. Education. You, education with Teach for America. You've been in, the, well, wait a minute, I'm looking at the Fulbright Scholar in Thailand. Um, you know, you've uh, just, this is a lot of different, different organizations. I'm looking at your bio, Massachusetts Secretary, you've worked with the uh, Massachusetts Secretary of Education, the U.S. Department of Education, McKinsey and Company. Um, so, are you just confused, uh, or what should we learn from your from your career path? Oh, what should you learn? Uh, if if there, if there are things to learn, I think I'd say a couple of things. Uh, my wife actually said to me once, you know, uh, at 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 most charitable, your resume is eclectic. At worst, it's unfocused. Um, I think one thing I I learned from a mentor very early was. Um, Many people focus on the jobs and the titles, uh, and part of that is kind of the incentives of our society. Um, and what they told me to focus on was the work. Go to the place at that time where you believe you can be most productive towards the work. And, def- and everyone defines their work differently. And so, um, you know, I've always um, been devoted to, I think, opportunity. Um, you know, just a brief background on me. My, you know, I'm a very classic immigrant story to this country. My family uh, is from a very small, out of the way part of Nigeria that most Nigerians themselves will never go to. None of my grandparents went past middle school, and my parents literally grew up in the same village with Peace Corps volunteers in their classrooms, and um, like changed their lives that they got to come to the U.S. and study. And uh, you know, in the course of a generation, you have again four, four grandparents who didn't go past middle school, parents who. Um, had peace with volunteers in classrooms to someone who, like me, had the privilege to go to a place like Wharton. Um, and so um, I'm not necessarily here because I'm deserving. I'm here because, you know, the, 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 coin, the coin flip of the universe ended up on the right side for me. Right. And so it's why I'm devoted to that work. And so as I've progressed in my career, what I've realized is this is a classic collective impact challenge. No one sector, no one organization can solve this. No one uh, set of actors can make sure that every child or family in America gets what I got. Uh, and so that's why as, you know, I've moved kind of between private sector, government, the nonprofit space, because I'm always looking for where can I make the most difference. And in the end, what you realize is you need all of them to make a difference. Yeah. And um, I think that is a lesson for people at Wharton, particularly who are interested in the social impact. Um, do not see your career as monochromatic, but see it again as where do I go at this moment to um, – make the most difference and how do I bring the learnings from wherever else I've been with me? Right, right. Because very rarely um, do other, that's not necessarily incentivized or expected. 
And so if you can come not only with, a, obviously, particularly for coming out of a Wharton, Wharton with amazing training, but also um, mental maps of how other people in other spaces think and behave, you're tremendously valuable as a leader, as a bridge builder, and you're going to get more stuff done, not just for the bottom line, but also um, for people who need it most. I, I got to say, Chike, I, you know, I love listening to you. And I love this description. The the uh, one of the practical questions that we get a whole lot is where you know where do I start? Mm. You know, um, yep. and I and I had lunch yesterday. You know, a delightful lunch with three of my uh, three undergrad students, uh, all women. Um, you know, I was like, wow, this yeah. you could really see the the power of Wharton. They're Wharton seniors, and uh, they know already where they're going. One is going to Microsoft. One is going to McKinsey, and one is going to BlackRock. Sure. Right? Yep. This is these are big names. It's hard to argue with like the brand and the training that you can get at those institutions. Um, and on the other hand, I, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know what your what your career path and your advice would suggest to them. So, you know, if it, for all those students that I got one coming to my talk to me later this afternoon, who's going to say, you know, what do I do? How do I pursue a social impact career? Do you go to those big companies when you can, right out of school, you know, if you're lucky enough to have that access? Uh, it's a great question. And to be honest, a very personal question yeah. uh, that, that, uh, that, that only they in their gut can answer. Here's a, here are two things that I'll say. I'll say, number one, um, think about a career, not, not a job. Meaning, you know, mm-hmm. again, mm-hmm. the Wharton senior is going to have at least a 40-year career ahead of them. Right. Um, what do you want the arc of that career to be, and what do you want the impact over the course of that career to be? Mm-hmm. That's, I think, number one. So taking the, the, the long view. Number two, I think about um, a good friend of mine, Wes Moore, who's uh, an amazing author and who's the head of the Robin Hood Foundation in, in, uh, in uh, New York City. Right. Uh, uh, Maryland, Bal- a Baltimore guy, so, you know, he's, he's a hometown boy. One thing he talks about is no matter what your job is, um, public service is your responsibility. So if I think about the people who I've seen make amazing impact, um, they don't just think of their impact through their job, meaning that they're nine to five. They have a portfolio being volunteer activity, uh, civic obligations, and a, a portfolio of impact. That's how they think. And I think when you're early on in your career, you don't necessarily see that as much. Right. But if, as I've gotten older, I've said, wow, um, it's not just that this person is an MD at this bank. It's that they serve on these six boards. It's that they're talking to and advising seven companies which no one knows about, but it's just that they're passionate about. And they write, and they think, and they may do a swing through government and come back to the private sector, but they create this portfolio of impact. And so the thing that I'll say is, in the short term, even if you think about the arc of your career, there is no short-term excuse to not be making impact, no matter what your day job is. Love that. No, yeah. no short-term excuse for not creating impact. It's great. I'm gonna tweet that one out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I think um, if you think that way, it begins to actually, I, I think, take the pressure off getting the exact right job at the exact right time. Yeah, yeah. You... Go ahead, go ahead, Chiki. If you want to finish the, the thought, we gotta, no. we're going to take a break in just a moment. No, no. Um, I would just say, um, again, um, if you, if, again, if you think that way, um, you almost will never go wrong. And the, the only other piece of advice that I would say is, if you are passionate about a problem, um, go as close to the front line as you can, as early as you can in, in your career. Yeah. I was lucky to do that um, in my career in city government, also as a teacher. Right. Um, and so I would say, again, whether that's a volunteer or your job, um, think about that. Because, again, it's hard to solve a problem that you don't know firsthand. Right. And then you can use that information just 
as you go into other paths and do other things. Absolutely. Exactly. We've been talking with Chike Agu, principal at McChrystal Group and a partner of uh, Incovate and just a, a fount of great ideas. And, and, uh, and you know, I, we can hear the passion for impact in what you're describing to us. So uh, thanks so much for being with us, Chike. You make us extra proud that you are an alum. <laughs> For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.